Good morning. All right, so last week we began a new series called Praying Like Jesus. This week is now part two and the final part of that series. Last week we talked about how Jesus prayed, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus said to pray. What did, te- what did Jesus teach his followers when he taught on prayer? So our passage this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to go to verses 5 through 13. Before I read it, though, um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about it. First of all, this passage I'm about to read to you is very famous, very famous. Um, Not the first part. I guess I should say the second half of what I'm about to read to you is very famous. The first few sentences that I'm about to read will be unfamiliar probably to some of you. But the second part will be unfamiliar, I think, to none of you. I think literally probably everyone in this room is going to be familiar with the second half of what I read. And you might go, really, Mario? Because you don't know me. You know, like, I just showed up here. I haven't been to church in 30 years. I don't know nothing about Christianity. Like, I don't know anything in the Bible. Like, I don't think I know whatever passage you're about to read. And I'm just telling you, you do. Like, if, if only from movies and TV shows, you do. The, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is in so many funeral scenes and church scenes that pretty much everybody has heard this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it this morning out of the ESV. Okay, this is not the usual Bible translation I use. I usually use HCSB. Today, I'm going to preach out of the English Standard Version. And the reason I'm doing that for this week and this week only is because this, this thing that I'm about to read to you is so well known that I'm just going to use a translation that translates it in a traditional way rather than in a contemporary way, because I do not want to fight against the way many of you have memorized this, okay? If I, get, if I, get start, if I read, your name be honored as holy instead of hallowed be thy name, like, you're going to flip, okay? So I'm just, I'm not even ready for that. So I'm just going to read it in a, just a more traditional translation. I'll go back to what I usually preach out of next, next week. So here's our passage, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And this is, by the way, Jesus speaking. Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So if I were going to take this passage, these words of Jesus Christ, and if I were going to outline them, which I did, okay, if we are going to just do a very simple outline, I don't do a lot of outlines for my sermons, but this week I did. If I were going to outline this passage and it was just going to be a simple two-point outline, it would be this. It would be, point number one would be don't do this. Point number two would be do this, okay? Because that's what you see. Like if you just look at what Jesus said here, that's exactly what you see. Don't do this is a good heading for verses 5 through 8. Do this is a good heading for verses 9 through 13. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, this is the way not to pray. And then he follows it up with, here's how you should pray, verses 9 through 13. So that's what we're going to do. But instead of doing it like with just two points, there's actually some, we could have some some points, sub points, couldn't we? Like he said a lot of things in there. And so if we were breaking it down into like an outline with points and sub points, whoa, it's like I did work this week. Okay, so 
Um, we got under don't do this, if you look at verses five through eight, there are actually two don't do this is in there, okay? It's don't pray to be seen by others and don't pray long prayers filled with empty phrases. And then under do this, I guess you could break it into a lot of different ways, but I broke it down into six parts. So when you do this, you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's the outline we're gonna follow this morning for this passage. So we're gonna start with the don't do this is, and we're gonna start with don't do this number one, which is don't pray to be seen by others. And don't do this number one is found in verse five. So let me go ahead and reread it now. This is how Jesus said it. He said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, okay? Well, who are the hypocrites? What do they do? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners to be seen by others. So he's, and, and then he goes on to say, that just go pray in secret in your room, not like these people who are praying for the people who are listening to them, okay? Now, as Jesus says this, I think it's important to catch this. Um, I do not think that this teaching of Jesus rules out all public prayers, I don't think he's saying no one should ever be able to see anyone else pray. No one should ever be able to hear anyone else pray. Prayer should always be in secret. Go hide in your room. The only way to pray is secretly in your room. I don't think this, this rules out all public prayers because of the rest of the Bible. Like Jesus prayed in public at times. There are times that like there are words of Jesus that he prayed that we know what he prayed because he prayed them out loud in public and people wrote them down, right? So we know it's not like Jesus wasn't in those cases, I don't think he was dismissing his own advice here. Like Jesus prayed in public. Um, the early church prayed together, like out loud where they could hear each other praying together. And when the Bible describes the earliest Christians praying together, it doesn't describe it as if they were doing something wrong. Like, oh, look at these people praying out loud. They should have all been in their separate bedrooms hiding from each other. No, they prayed together and the Bible acts like that's a good thing. Um, even the Lord's prayer itself, the prayer that's the second part of this, um, it sure seems to be a communal prayer. Like the way that Jesus gave them this prayer, it seems to be a prayer that people would pray not only secretly in their room, but together. You notice the, the plural adjectives and the plural nouns that are in it? Like it doesn't say my father in heaven. It says our father in heaven. It doesn't say give me this day my daily bread. It says give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. It looks like Jesus gave these words with the intention that Christians would pray them together, right? So I do not think that this teaches us that prayer, um, the point here isn't that prayer should never be seen. The point is don't pray to be seen. You see the difference there? Don't pray to be seen. This idea that I'm going to say this prayer and look at how I'm going to say all these words and all these people that hear me pray are all going to be like, whoa, she is so spiritual. You know, oh, he is so holy. Do not pray prayers so that other people will think that you are holy or other people will think that you are spiritual. Don't pray to be seen. And that makes sense. That makes sense why God wouldn't want that because we, we understand that same idea even in our normal human relationships, don't we? That, we? that there are words that sometimes seem performative, like the person is just doing it for everyone else that's around. Have you seen this? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine if, imagine if I wanted my neighborhood to think that I'm a really good husband, okay? My goal wasn't to be a good husband. My goal was just to get my neighborhood to think I was a really good husband. So I decide, oh, I'm gonna do something that everybody can see. So I buy flowers for my wife, okay? And I'll just buy a little bit of flowers. I, mean, I could buy like a huge thing to make sure you can see it from like five houses down, okay? So I come with this giant thing of flowers and I ring the doorbell of the house, you know, Heidi's inside. And then, I, and then after I ring the doorbell, I step back like several, several steps so that I'm in the middle of the front yard, okay? So I'm like in full view 
And there I am waiting for her to answer the door and I'm looking, making sure like, okay, there's a lady with a baby in a stroller, so that's good. And up there, here's a, you know, whatever old couple that are walking down the road, they can see me, so that's good. You know, and the house behind me, yep, yep, they got the curtains open. They could, if they look out, they'll see. Okay, so good, so I'm in, I'm in full view. And there I am. And so imagine she opens the door and I'm like, my beautiful wife, I have procured these flowers for you as a token of my affection and my undying love. Don't you think at some point she's going to go, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you standing like so far out in the front yard? Why are you talking so loud? Why did you ring the doorbell of your own house? <laughs> like, why didn't you just come in and just give me the flowers privately? And then maybe she'd look to the left and right and go, oh, you did it for them. You did it so they would say that. So they would think, you, did, you didn't do this because you're a good husband. You did this so that they would think that you're a good husband. The announcing it to the neighborhood ruins the gesture, does it not? Yeah. And so in that case, my reward isn't whatever comes to good husbands. My reward is the people in the neighborhood thinking that I'm a good husband. And I think that is exactly what Jesus is getting at in verse five. When he says, they, the hypocrites, love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that may, they may be seen by others. Look at the next sentence. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their what? their reward. Why did they get a reward? Why hypocrites aren't supposed to get a reward? Why did Jesus say the hypocrites get a reward? Well, I think it's obvious. He's saying their reward is the thing that happens when they do that. When you, when you pray in the street corners and you pray to be seen, and then someone looks over and goes, whoa, real, that person's really devout. Like that's the, if that's what you wanted, you got it. If you want people to think that you're really special and holy, then you just act like it and then they will and then you got your reward. But there's no reward coming from God. No, God rewards secret prayers in verse six. Okay, the second don't do. So if we're going back to our don't do, so there are two don't do's, right? The second one is found in verse seven. So we've got don't pray to be seen by others and then you've got don't pray long prayers filled with empty phrases. So this is found in verse seven. Jesus said it this way. He said, and when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Similar to the first one, I think it's important to say this, this is not forbidding all long prayers, okay? This is not like, well, anytime you pray with many words, that's bad. If you remember last week, there was an occasion where we talked about, we saw where Jesus prayed all night long. Do you remember that? One of the verses that we looked at last week, Jesus prayed all night long. It is okay to pray long prayers. It is okay to pray with many words. But in this case, I think it's talking about like a thoughtless repetition kind of prayer. If you notice in these don't do's, the first don't do is based on Jewish religious people. And the second don't do is based on Gentile religious people. The first don't do is he's talking about some of the Jewish religious people that were hypocrites. And he said, don't be like them. The way I know that they're Jewish, even though the word is not in there, is he said, these people love to pray in the synagogue. Remember that? To be seen by others. Who prays in a synagogue? Yeah, Jewish people, all right? So he's saying one of the problems with some of the Jewish people is the way that they're praying in the synagogues to be seen by others. And then the next thing he says is, oh, and one of the problems with the Gentile people is that they pray these prayers and it looks like what they had. And this would have obviously been religious Gentile people because they're praying. Probably people who are praying to like the gods of the Roman empire because Gentiles would have been people who typically do not worship the God of the Bible. They don't know about him, right? They just, there's all these other gods from all these other nations. And so it looks like they had a habit of praying or chanting sort of repetitive, formulaic prayers meant to manipulate the gods. 
with their many words. Um, an example of this that you can find in the Bible, actually in the Old Testament, would be 1 Kings chapter 18. You can go there on your own sometime and look it up. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophets of Baal are praying. The prophets of Baal would be like Gentile religious people, right? These are people who do not worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped Baal. And as they worshiped Baal and they prayed to him, according to 1 Kings chapter 18, it says that they said, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us from morning until midday. And it looks like the point that they were trying, I think they thought like, well, if we ask once, maybe he won't listen. But if we just keep going over and over and over again, that will show our devotion. That will prove that we really mean it. And that will like get him to do something he otherwise would not do, right? And so those kind of rituals, it looks to me that as Jesus is giving this, he is trying to get his followers out of the mode of treating prayer like a ritual, And again, this makes sense if you apply it to ordinary human communication. Chanting is usually not a way to maintain a healthy relationship, right? I mean, my children used to chant. They don't do it much anymore. But they used to chant, and I did not like it. It was kind of irritating. Um, The way it would happen is we'd be going, like we'd be, like I'd say to their mother, typically, I'd say, hey, where would you like to go out to eat tonight? And then they would answer the question as if I asked them. Okay, and then I would clarify, go, oh no, sorry, I was not asking you where you want to eat tonight. I was asking your mother where she would like to eat tonight. And even after specifying that I was not asking for their opinion and only for their mothers, they would still continue to give their opinion. And sometimes they would get all together and give their opinion to get like in unison, like a little evil choir, okay? (laughs) And they would go, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. And it's so weird. Because we never fell for it. Like we never went like, okay, well, they're chanting, we must. <laughs> There's never a time that like, you know, I, I turned to Heidi and I went, they've, they've said it 17 times. Like, have we, have we any choices? <laughs> no, of course not. I told them, stop it. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I just want to give you a little parenting tip. This is a sermon on prayer. It's not on parenting, but I'm just going to throw this out there for free, okay? What is rewarded is repeated, okay? If your children irritate you, okay, and then you give in and give them whatever they want, you are training them to irritate you, okay? So that's just for free. I'm just giving you that for free. Now back to prayer, okay? Prayer. The point is, Jesus taught that in our prayers, we should not be repeating thoughtless phrases that are more about the number of words than the heart and trying to manipulate God. We don't need to try to manipulate God. He knows what we need before we even say it. Jesus said that in verse eight. Okay, so that covers the don't do section. So now let's move on to the do section. What is it that we should do when we pray? We know two ways not to pray, but how should we pray? Starting in verse nine, we get to the section that is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. I do not know why this is known as the Lord's Prayer. I don't, not, I don't know at what point in history this came to be known as the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of funny when you think about it because our Lord Jesus Christ actually prayed a number of prayers in his lifetime. All of his prayers are the Lord's prayers, right? So I don't know why this one got called the Lord's prayer when he had a lot of them. Um, But this is the one that he used to teach his followers how to pray. In this case, he's teaching how to pray. Don't do this, do this. Um, A very similar prayer shows up in Luke chapter 11. In that case, it was was a situation where his disciples specifically asked, will you teach us how to pray? Like, we don't know how to pray. Will Will you teach us how to pray? And this is the prayer that he gave them. So this is his prayer that he teaches, that he would teach. This is how you pray. In this particular occasion, meaning Matthew's account, 
The words that come just before the Lord's Prayer are words like this. It's pray like this. I think ESV translates it, pray then like this. So it sounds like Jesus is saying, pray a prayer that's like this one I'm about to give you. However, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus basically says, say this. And then he gives them a prayer. So in one case, he says, pray like this. In another case, he says, say these words. And so the question is, which one is it? Is the Lord's Prayer a prayer that is meant to be recited verbatim? Or is it a model prayer meant to be imitated, but not exactly? And I believe it's both. On the one hand, it's obvious that Jesus did not intend on his disciples when they prayed only saying these exact words in this exact order. The way, one of the ways that's obvious is because Luke's version isn't even the same as Matthew's. Meaning like there were two different occasions. One time where Jesus said, hey, pray this way. And then another time he said, pray this way. And it was the same prayer, except it wasn't word for word the same prayer. It was slightly different. So it can't be, it must be these words in this order because he didn't even pray the prayer exactly the same way every time. Jesus also prayed other prayers that were very different from the Lord's Prayer, which indicates this is not the only way to pray, right? These are not, this is not the only prayer to pray. So, so obviously this is a, a type of prayer to pray, not say these words in this order. However, there is no problem with memorizing this and reciting it, okay? In fact, don't you kind of have to do that um, like in order to imitate it? Like if you think about it, if you say like, oh, I'm not gonna pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm just gonna pray prayers like the Lord's Prayer. If you're gonna pray a prayer like the Lord's Prayer, don't you kind of have to memorize the Lord's Prayer and be able to say it out loud in order for you to then pray a prayer that's like the Lord's Prayer? So, Here's the prayer he gives us. We're gonna look at it in six parts, okay? I'm gonna start with the first one. He starts off by saying, pray, and this is the word, see, this is the way he starts the prayer. He says, our Father in heaven. That's the beginning. He says, when you pray, he starts off with this, pray to God as your Father. So, so that's very helpful to know. Like the first thing we learn, and it's true in both prayers, this one and the one that he says in Luke 11, both of them start the same way. Start with our Father in heaven, Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray, as he's teaching his followers how to pray, he says, pray to God as your heavenly father. I think that's very helpful to know. Like that, pray to God as your father actually answers a lot of other questions you could have. As you're trying to think through, well, what attitude should I have when I pray? What tone should I have as I pray? Well, it's very, I, I think a lot of that is answered with, you're talking to your father. That's the tone, that's the attitude. Right? You are not submitting a, uh, like a statement to a distant, impersonal being who may or may not care. Right? Our tone when we pray should not be like we are submitting a request to Marion County to change the zoning on a piece of land. Have any of you ever done that? Some of you have had to like write up, draw up paperwork like that, right? And you're asking Marion County, can you change this from residential to commercial, whatever. But whatever words you used, whatever tone you used, it's not the same way you talk to your dad. Am I right? It's different. We're praying to our Father. Now, before I, get off, before I move to the next point, um, I think I need to address something because there are gonna be some of you in this room, not all of you, but some of you in this room that when you hear that, you go, oh, I'm praying to God like he's my Father? Like that's, if you're telling me, Mario, to pray to God, like talk to him like I talk to my dad, that's basically like saying don't pray, okay? Because I don't talk to my dad. I have a terrible relationship with my dad. I don't even think he's a good person. Okay, I mean, we just have a very, it's a very difficult relationship. And so to say, oh, pray to God like he's your dad, like, well, that's like telling me don't pray much. And so I, I wanted to, you, I could probably, you could probably do a whole sermon on this, but I don't have time to do a whole sermon on this in the middle of this sermon. So let me just say, um, 
just a quick thing. I thought this was very pithy, very like he just, it was very succinct. I heard a preacher say this one time years ago and I thought it was very helpful. He said, he said, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of your earthly father. And so especially to those of you in this room that you're like, man, I can't stand my dad. You need to understand this. God is not the reflection of your earthly father. Like when you're praying, when we say pray to God as your father, I'm not saying picture your dad up in the sky, really huge, and then pray to him. That's not, that's not it. It's when, when, when this preacher said, this is something I learned a long time ago, and that's what he said. When he, when he said he's the perfection of your father. Like, I think that's his way of saying God is like your earthly father if your earthly father had been absolutely perfect in every way. That's who you're praying to. All right. Um, number two, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is the second part of the prayer. And it's a, it's, this is one of the reasons I picked the ESV because that's a very old way of saying it. We, not very many people in this room use the word hallowed, but we're all familiar with it being in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. It could also be translated like what hallowed be your name means is your name be honored as holy, okay? So this old word hallowed, hallowed means like if you hallow something, that means you are treating it as if it is special or sacred. And so you are saying special or sacred is the way that your name, God, is to be treated. And so this is an act of worship, this little phrase. It's an act of, of reverence and respect toward God. Hallowed be your name. Holy, special is your name. Which is also, we've got to ask another question because that's interesting. Why in the world would you say hallowed be your name? Why not just say hallowed are you, right? If that's what it means. If it means holy and special, then why not just say holy and special are you? Why in the world would it say hallowed be your name? Um, and so I think, I think that's a good question. Thank you for asking it. Um, it's helpful to know that in Bible times, a person's name was roughly the equivalent of them. Like you are your name. Your name is your reputation, your character, your renown, your accomplishments. Like all that's wrapped up in your name. When the Psalms in the Old Testament have lyrics and they say things like, sing to the Lord, bless his name. That's not two like drastically different things. It's not, well, first we are going to sing to the Lord. Then when we're done with that, we're going to bless his name, right? That's this whole other thing. No, sing to the Lord is like, we're gonna praise God and bless his name is the same thing. We're gonna, we're gonna praise God. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. That's all, that's all one thing. Uh, someone once pointed out that it's sort of like the way we use the word when we say, and you've heard this phrase, like um, sometimes we'll, use the, we'll say, um, he's made quite a name for himself. Have you heard people say that? Like, oh, he's made quite a name for himself. Well, when we say that, we don't mean his name is awesome, right? We mean he's awesome, right? His reputation, his accomplishments go before him. That's what that phrase means. That's what we're saying about God. Your name, all that you are, God, is hallowed and to be hallowed by everyone. And these first two phrases, our Father in heaven, and hallowed be your name, like together, I think they really help us have like a good balance as to the way that we're supposed to relate to God. I say balance because we see like the intimacy and, and that he cares about me, but also like the fear and the respect, like you're holy. You see that together? That if his name is to be hallowed, then there is a healthy fear or a healthy respect that is implied, Right? Hallowed be your name reminds you, like, he is not your equal. 
right? You do not say, hallowed be your name to anyone that you consider to be your equal, right? This is, this is, this is you are worthy to be worshiped kind of language. Hallowed be your name is a reminder. He is not your equal. Like you don't talk to God like he's one of the bros, okay? Hey, what's up? Like, no, he is, he is hallowed, okay? But there shouldn't be like an unhealthy fear, like so much hallow that it's like, whoa, he's out to get me and I don't know if I can say the right thing. No, no, there, there's, there, there, there shouldn't be an unhealthy fear like he's out to get you because he's our father. He's our father who is holy. All right, number three, your kingdom come, your will be done. I suppose we could have broke that into two things and tried to make this into seven points, but I didn't do that because I feel like these two things are they're very connected. They're similar to sing to the Lord, bless his name. I think your kingdom come and your will be done are not two like completely separate, different requests. In fact, Luke's version of this prayer doesn't even have one of them. I think Luke's version just has your kingdom come and doesn't even have your will be done. But I think that these are two similar ways of saying something. Your kingdom come is saying, like you're asking for his rule, his reign to be on the earth as it is in heaven right? Like that's what your kingdom, if, if, it, if it's his kingdom, then he is the king. So if it's his kingdom and you want his kingdom to come, you're saying, we want you to rule and reign here as you do in heaven. And then your will be done is some, saying something similar. You're saying, we want your plan, your agenda, your desires to happen here as they do in heaven. And I believe this is very good for us, for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think it gets us moving in the right direction. Praying for God's will to be done, I believe will help you to cooperate with God's plan. Because this is the thought that I'm having. If you're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and you're praying that, and then you come to a situation where you have to decide, should I do this or should I do that? Should I do what God's will is? Should I do what my will is? Which one are you more likely to choose if all week you've been praying Thy will be done, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you get to the point where you have to make a decision. It seems to me that you're more likely to go, well, I want to do God's will. It's what I've been asking for all month, right? Like this, praying this way, I think, lines us up with God's reign and and submitting to him. All right, number four, give us this day our daily bread. We can ask him for what we need. Like this part of the prayer shows us when you pray to God, you can ask him for what you need. Now notice it's bread, not mansions, right? <laughs> like this is, it seems like there's an obvious like needs versus wants things going on here. Like he mentions needs. He does not mention any wants. This is not give us this day our daily Porsche, right? <laughs> now you might say like, well, Mark, so is it a sin to ask for beyond my needs, Mario? Is it a sin to ask God for what I want? I didn't say it was a sin to ask God for what you want. I'm just pointing out the model prayer that Jesus gave us told us to ask for needs. Do with that what you will. Number five, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We can confess our sins to God and ask for forgiveness. Now, in this particular prayer, Jesus does not actually confess his sins and then ask for forgiveness. He just jumps straight to teaching his people to ask for forgiveness, okay? Why didn't Jesus confess particular sins and then ask for forgiveness? Yeah, because he didn't have any, okay? Jesus didn't confess any sins because he didn't have any to confess. But we can. 
we can confess our sins to God and then ask for forgiveness, which is what I would advise for you to do. That you could say to God, this is what I've done wrong and I ask for your forgiveness rather than like, let's just keep it really general. God, please forgive me my debts. No need to specify what they are, right? Like, I think it's good to even tell God, this is the thing I've done wrong. I confess it to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Um, And when you do that, this is important to know, when you do that, you do not do that to inform him, right? When you confess your sins to God, you are not confessing them to God to inform him of what you did. Did you know this? Yes, because he already knows. There's never a time you're gonna confess a sin to God and he's gonna go, if I had only known, you know what I mean? Like that's never gonna happen. He knows. You're not, you're not doing it to inform him. It's just like verse eight, um, when it said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's also true. He knows what you did before you confessed it, right? Well, then why would I do it? Why am I confessing sins to God that I already knows, Right? I'm asking him to forgive me. Well, didn't he already forgive me when he died on the cross? I'm asking for forgiveness and I'm telling him, I'm confessing sins to him he already knows. Why am I doing this? Well, first of all, he said to just do it. So we'll start there. But I believe one of the reasons why is that it is good for us to acknowledge our sins and ask for forgiveness of them. Not, not to inform him. It's, it's not like I'm saying, God, here's my sin. I know you didn't know, but here's my sin. It, it's, I'm saying, God, here's my sin. And I just want you to know, like, I agree with you that that was wrong, okay? You, you thought it was a sin before even I did it, right? But I just want you to know, I agree with you. That was wrong. And so I, I repent and I ask you for forgiveness. This part of the prayer is also a reminder to forgive others. A pretty serious reminder to forgive others right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. (laughs) There are some of you in this room that if you were honest, you would probably have to admit this. You don't actually want God to forgive you as you forgive your debtors, right? Like some of you have to admit, you actually don't want God to answer that prayer. You do not want God to forgive you like the way that you have forgiven others. Because what that would mean is you're basically saying, God, will you please treat me coldly and distance and like, you know, hold me at arm's length and, and, and hold some bitterness in even as you say, I forgive you. So, so really what we must do is we must forgive others the way we want to be forgiven and then pray for God to forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Um, The last part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're asking for help to live the life you should live. I think that lead us not into temptation is kind of a poetic way of saying, guide us away from temptation, keep us from evil. Some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. Apparently, I guess in the original Greek, it was something like deliver us from the evil. And so people didn't know, do you just, is that, does that mean deliver us from evil? Or does that mean deliver us from the evil one? Um, and I don't know which one it is, but it could very well be that, that you're praying to be delivered from the devil, to be delivered from Satan's schemes. But either way, whether it's evil in general or Satan, um, it's still like a guide me away from temptation, keep me away from evil kind of a prayer. So that's how we pray. That's how, this is how we should pray. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is about the worship of God and submission to God as our King and our Father. And the second half of the prayer is help me survive, forgive me of my sins, help me to not keep sinning. And that's how we should pray. 
not as the hypocrites to be seen, not as the pagans and the Gentiles heaping up empty phrases, but praying to our Father, worshiping him, submitting to him, requesting things, confessing things. And so what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna close by praying the Lord's Prayer. But instead of merely reciting the Lord's Prayer in closing, what I'm going to do, something we've done here many times, is I'm gonna pray the lines of the Lord's Prayer and then I'm gonna pause after each line for about maybe 20 seconds or so. And the point of that is for you, silently in your seat, to be able to pray to God. And I will pray the, like, I'll pray the line of the Lord's Prayer and then you can take this, the empty space after that to pray that line of the Lord's Prayer in your own words, right? And make it your own prayer. And so that's how we will close. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for giving us instruction on prayer so that we may know. And we now pray the way you taught your followers to pray, saying, our Father in heaven. hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.